Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Joanna Faber, who, along with her co-author, Julie King, might well be considered your best friend if you have little ones or you teach youngsters ages two to seven. They've written this amazing book, How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen, a survival guide to life with children ages two to seven. I feel it actually comes down to a lot of common sense, but that's after reading and hearing the stories they tell. You decide as we now meet Joanna Faber. Joanna Faber, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. It is truly my pleasure. You are giving us such a wonderful gift by spending time with us. But before, or the reason for spending time together is this incredibly wonderful new book that you present to us that you've written with Julie King, How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen. And even though I don't have little kids uh, a lot in my life, boy, this is such a well, an entertaining book for one thing, but so insightful, so helpful. It's a great tool. Oh my goodness, I'm glad it's entertaining because <laughs> I that's that's what we aim, we aim for it to be fun to read because I don't think parents who are looking after kids running around can slog through a textbook. <laughs> so so I'm really I'm happy to hear that you're entertained by the stories in the book because that's the first step. Getting yes. anything out of anything is to enjoy it, right? Indeed, absolutely. And and you said such a key word, the stories. Of course, stories definitely can entertain us, but they're also such a wonderful vehicle for us to relate to, to be able to really understand and apply like, oh, I get this. This is how I could use it in such and such situation. So the two of you together in your collaboration have really done an amazing and important work. I feel like I've achieved my goal. <laughs> that's that's why we wrote the book. We wrote this book for all the parents who come to our workshops and have written letters, you know, saying, I, I love this how to talk so kids will listen approach. But what do I do? You know, what do I do when my two-year-old won't put her shoes on or the three-year-old pinches the baby? Um, you know, or the four-year-old won't take his medicine. You know, it, it's all well and good to have the theoretical advice. You know, you should be loving, but firm. You know, you've got to be consistent, but don't forget to be flexible. You know, you should be supportive, but not too supportive because you don't want to be a helicopter parent. Um, you know, but when you're when you're in the middle of a crisis, it's really hard to translate theory into action. So, you know, when the toast is burning and the baby's crying and the dog's running away with the diaper, you know, what do you what do you do? What do you do? And and what we offer, what we we hope that we achieve in our book is is to give you stories of what parents have done, how they've taken these skills and these tools and actually used them. And they're not neat little examples. They're nice, messy, wacky examples of from people's kitchens and classrooms. And we hope that you'll come away with a chuckle and an idea. And you can, you can look at the stories and say, oh, I think that would work for me. And, and we also arranged it so you can skip around. You don't have to slog through the book. So, so what we did was we, we took all the stories about getting out in the morning and we put them in one chapter. And the stories about um, getting your kids to bed at night, oh, my goodness, what a battle. 
and we put them in another chapter so parents can go directly to whatever is is challenging them at that moment. And, and we also added a chapter on um, using these skills with children who have special needs who are on the autism spectrum or have sensory issues. So you can get a whole range of, of parents and teachers' experience with these kids. And to underscore this, it's it, these are real-life stories, and you and Julie both come to this with your experiences of being parents. This is not theory. This is not just someone else's stories. You've been through the, that proverbial trench. So it really comes from a very real place. Sure. We've been, we've been in the trenches. Um, you know, I started, I, I grew up, you know, in a home you know, with a mother who wrote this book on parenting. Um, you know, so, so that was pretty wonderful. And, 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 you know, not only that, I, I had a chance you know, before I became a parent, to practice my skills on kids in the classroom because I taught, I taught in West Harlem in a in a bilingual special education program for ten years, so I had I had a lot of opportunity to see how this works in the real world. So I was very confident, you know, that I would be a great parent and that it would be easy for me. Until at one point. My husband and I engaged in the scientific method to test this hypothesis, and we produced these three little <laughs> children of our own who would live with us all day and keep us up all night. And, um, you know, at that point, I realized that there's a certain relentless 24-7-ness to parenting, and you're, you're in charge of these crazy little people who essentially have all the energy of a tornado and all the analytic skills of a tornado, I, you know, I, I thought they would be a little more reasonable. <laughs> so at that point, I decided I wouldn't tell anyone that my mother was a famous author who wrote a best-selling parenting book, you know, because I can just imagine myself in the playground and there's my 18-month-old on the slide chomping into the arm of another 18-month-old and people whispering behind my back, her mother wrote a book on parenting. Can you believe it? You know, so who needs that kind of pressure? So I, I kept my head down, and I stayed undercover. And I, I really, you know, I just pretended that wasn't, you know, that wasn't my, you know, my history. Um, and then at one point, I was in this, playgroup with other moms of young kids. You know, it was really, it was supposed to be a playgroup for the kids, but really the kids, you know, were busy bumbling around and whacking each other with trucks while the parents got to socialize. And, and one of the other moms came up to me and she said, Joanna, you've got to read this book. I know you'd like it. It, it reminds me of the way you talk to your kids. It's just your style. And she pulls out my mom's book, at which point, you know, I had to shamefacedly admit that my own mother had written it. And then she yelled out to the group, hey, guys, Joanna's mother wrote this book on parenting, and she didn't tell us. <laughs> so then, you know, so I was outed. Yes. And um, a little while later, she asked me to give a talk for her church, and then there was great enthusiasm, and people wanted to do a parenting workshop, and that's how I got started walking in my mother's footsteps and following her path. 
And meanwhile, on the other side of the country, my childhood friend, Julie, was doing the same. She had started out as a lawyer and then realized the law was not for her. She's really more of a consensus builder, so she became a mediator. And then she had kids of her own, some of whom had two of whom, one of whom was on the autism spectrum and one of whom had sensory issues. And she started delving into um, parenting and giving parenting workshops and revising these skills, adapting them for kids who have these kinds of issues and helping parents out there. And, and she started bugging me to write a book, and I didn't want to do it. I, I, I dug in my heels, but she, she prevailed, and, and that's why we have this book today. And great thing that she prevailed because we are really so fortunate to have this wonderful toolbox, essentially, in our hands, available to us, not just as parents, but certainly as grandparents, as other family members, aunts and uncles, and teachers, of course. I think this is an invaluable tool for teachers uh, in the primary years that they're going to really feel supported and, and really have good substance here as well. Yes, I hope so. More and more kids are, are in school from earlier and early ages with pre, you know, preschool with, with more and more parents working when kids are younger. So, you know, and, and they have the toughest job because they're managing groups of kids. So uh, there are stories in there for them, too. So I, I hope they read it. Um, should I should I talk about some of the, the tools that are in the book? Well, yes, let's let's take that approach. That sounds good, Joanna. Okay, so we begin with feelings. You know, people like to begin with, so how, you know, how do I talk to get my kid to listen? Because I have to get my kid to do things. I have to get my kid to behave. But the hard truth is that kids can't act right when they don't feel right. You know, none of us can. So if we want kids to behave better, we have to help them feel better. And the quickest way to do that is by accepting their feelings and not dismissing them which is much easier said than done when those feelings are negative. You know, we, we don't have any trouble usually accepting positive feelings. Like, you know, oh, you love the baby. You're such a nice older brother. Oh, you're, you know, you, you did well on your math test. Maybe you'll be an engineer someday. You know, but it's when kids express a negative feeling that we want to, you know, we want to brush it away because we don't want to risk making negative feelings stronger. Um, you know, we want to discourage angry emotions. We want to protect kids against sad emotions. You know, we just don't want to reinforce it. It seems counterintuitive. So I, I have a few examples for you of the difference between what we naturally want to say to kids and what is helpful for kids to hear. So, so if a child comes home and says, this homework's too hard, you know, what do we want to say? We want to say, oh, no, look, it's easy. Here, I'll help you. Well, let me tell you, no child ever took heart from hearing that what he's struggling with is easy for others. And even if he does figure it out, all he's figured out is something easy. So what's actually going to give him the strength to go on is to hear that does look hard, all those math problems that look like they could drive a person crazy. You know, when he says, you know, I lost my favorite Lego guy. You know, we want to say, oh, please, you have billions of those pesky little vacuum hazards. 
It'll actually help him calm down more quickly if you say, oh, so that one was really special to you, the one with the little, the little helmet and the silver sword. If your daughter comes home you know, from the kindergarten pageant rehearsal and says, I don't want to sing in the show, we want to reassure her, oh, you'll do fine. There's nothing to worry about. You have a beautiful voice. It will actually give her more courage to get on stage if her feelings are accepted. It can be scary to be in front of a lot of people. You know, that's immensely calming and reassuring to know that somebody knows that feeling inside. And when your son comes to you and says, I hate the baby, you know, what do you want to say? You want to say, don't say that. You know you love your brother. You have to be more patient with him. He's only one. It will actually help him feel better towards his brother and return to fond feelings more quickly if you acknowledge his feelings. You know, you sound very frustrated with your younger brother right now. It's not easy to live with a baby. It's hard to protect your stuff. They always grab everything. You know, you might even write down his objections to the baby, which is a nice way to show that you're really taking his feelings seriously. You know, you can write down, you know, what bothers you about the baby? Smelly, noisy, ugly, stupid. Uh, <laughs> you know, we've, we've got lots of stories in the book of parents and teachers who use writing, art, fantasy, all sorts of ways to help their kids with their tough feelings. You know, and what happens is, you know, if we don't give them that, then our unspoken message is, you know, you don't mean what you say. You don't know what you know. You don't feel what you feel. You can't trust your own senses. But when we do give them a language for their feelings, we're helping them know who they are and we're laying the groundwork for a person who can respect and not dismiss other people's needs and feelings. Because, you know, when you turn to your kid and say, well, you know, how do you think he felt about that? That's not nice. He's not going to be able to do that unless he has a language for feelings, unless the feelings have started, you know, unless you've started with acknowledging his feelings. You know, but that's not all there is because, you know, parents also need to get their kids to do things um, that kids are not interested in doing. You know, the, the cold, hard reality of being a parent is, or a teacher, is that adults are, you know, profoundly interested in things that kids are profoundly uninterested in. You know, like we're, we're obsessed with time. You know, we need to get out in the morning. We don't want to be late. Um, kids, kids couldn't care less about time. Uh, we're also, we're obsessed with cleanliness. You know, we want the kid to get in a bath. You know, we don't want the kid to be smelly and have sticky hair. Kids don't care. You know, so it seems to us like the most efficient way to get a kid to do something would be by directly telling them to do it. You know, put the cat down, get your coat on. No, not later, now. But what, what we ask uh, adults to imagine is how would you feel if you were taught to that way? So, you know, so imagine yourself coming home from work and your partner says to you, oh, good, you're home. Now, take off your coat. Go hang it up in the closet, sit down, and eat your food. Hurry up. Did you hear me? I said now. So, you know, even if that food smells delicious and you can't wait to be off your feet, you may find yourself resisting you know, because nobody likes to be told what to do. 
And kids get ordered around all day long, you know, get up, get dressed, get your backpack, brush your teeth, get in the car, stop pushing your sister. And, and they have the same resentful feelings that we adults get when people order us around. So what, what we do in our book is we offer many, many different ways of engaging children's cooperation without the commands, without the threats that cause resentment and make our job harder. You know, what we want is we want a way of engaging cooperation that makes a kid feel cooperative because that's half our battle. That's three quarters of our battle. And I think what we're experiencing as we listen to these examples and these stories, Joanna, is the perhaps this is the obvious, but really important. The child is an individual. They are a person. They're not just this little kid who, you know, has nothing kind of inside of them. They do. They're just a miniature human being. And we're there. We are entrusted with the ways to raise them up to be really wonderful youth and uh, young adults and adults themselves. So I think that if, like you were saying, you know, we don't want to be talk to that way, if we can place ourselves in that position, I think that's a great way for us to know how to interact and communicate with our kids. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's easy to lose sight of that. It's easy to lose sight of the, the, the idea that they are their own little person with their own full feelings because, you know, we have so much pressure on us, I mean, especially the modern family where, you know, there's, there's work, there's school, there's schedules, there's so much to push through, um, you know, that we, we could lose sight of that. But I, I, I have had parents in my work say, oh, it's easiest for me to use these skills if I picture how I would talk to a friend. And exactly as you said, you know, how would I talk to another adult? And, and it's, it's, not, it's not precisely equivalent, but the feeling, you know, the vocabulary may not be the same, but 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 the feeling is 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 there um let me give you let me give you a few examples so your your listeners can go home and experiment on their kids okay um one example the first example that we give in our book of a tool for cooperation um is one that most little kids really appreciate which is to be playful and if you're wondering, you know, what the heck does that mean? How am I supposed to be playful when my kid is driving me nuts? Uh, I'll give you this tip. Making an inanimate object talk is a surefire hit with a preschool crowd. You know, so, so when you're trying to get your kid's shoes on in the morning uh, and he's wiggling around, instead of clamping down on that three-year-old's leg and yelling, hold still while I get these socks on, don't you dare kick me. You'll have better luck if you animate the sock and make it talk to the child. Oh, I feel so flat. Won't somebody put a nice warm foot in me? You know, all of a sudden you'll have a child who's delighted to jam his foot in the sock. <laughs> and it didn't take any extra time. You know, I, I, I actually, you know, had an incident uh, a sad incident in my past where I was doing exactly that. I was holding tightly onto my kid's foot while he wiggled on the chair, and I was saying, hold still, and really nothing occurred to me. No skill occurred to me. I just held on to the foot, and he wiggled himself off the chair, and he whacked his head 
against the other chair as he fell because I was holding his foot up and, and split his head open and we had to go to the emergency room. So, you know, that took a lot longer than, than, than using a skill. But, uh, you know, nobody can do this stuff all the time. We do the best we can. We had it stitched up and, and he survived. Um, there was a, actually, she was a preschool teacher in our group. And after this session on using playfulness, she told us this story she used to have these epic battles with her kids about the blocks. And she was always threatening to throw the blocks away because they would play with them and not clean them up. And she would stub her toes on them or painfully step on them. And and at one point she was shoving blocks into her kid's hand and wrapping his fingers around the block and forcing his hand into the block bag and then prying his finger off the block to, to force him to clean up because, you know, it had become a moral battle but it wasn't an efficient way to clean up, um, and everyone was miserable. So, so this time what she did was she grabbed the block bag, and, and, and she opened the mouth of the bag, and she said, I'm hungry. Feed me blocks. Yum. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, her kid can't wait to shove blocks into that block bag, and her, her older daughter, who is never known for her helpfulness, runs over to help clean up. And, um, you know, it... it it changes the mood. It just changes the mood. It makes, in, instead of battling, you know, now we feel connected. We're on the same side. We're doing an activity together. And, and for a three-year-old who really can't, you know, logic out why should we clean up, that's the important thing. The important thing is the strong connection, the strong relationship, the feeling around doing these tasks. Um, so, you know, what else do we have? Um, there's so many more ways to be playful. Um, you know, you can make some, a task into a game. So, you know, instead of this room is a pigsty, you need to clean it up or I'm throwing the toys away. You can say, let's set the timer. How many toys do you think you can toss in the basket in one minute? Ready, set, go. Um, or you can give playful choices. Um, instead of the typical, hurry up, we're going to be late. Did you hear me? Move it. Um, you could try, how do you want to get to the car? You want to walk forwards or do you want to walk backwards? You want to hop like a kangaroo or slide like you're on roller skates? Um, instead of get your PJs on now, it is past your bedtime, you can try, do you want to put your PJs on the regular way tonight or do you want to put them on inside out? You know, do you want to do it with your eyes open or your eyes shut? You know, all of a sudden, now it's a challenge instead of a, a command. It, a, it, the day can get grim for a little kid being told what to do, and it can get grim for an adult having to get the kid to do all these things. So, so these are all ways to put everyone in a better spirit and make kids feel cooperative. And um, we're, we're having fun. And rather than being tedious, which can then be a battle, as you said, things can take so long as like having to take your little boy to the to the ER. We can play with these things and it may seem it's going like it'll take a lot longer, but in the end it doesn't, does it? It really yeah, it's so it seems like it seems like the straightest the fastest way between two points is a straight line. And with kids it really isn't. Yeah, you know, it but you know, we didn't have kids for the convenience of it. Nothing about kids. Nothing about having kids is convenient. So, you know, you might as well you may as well give into it. And 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 when you don't, you know, and when you grab the foot and your kid splits his head open on the other chair, you know, 
forgive yourself because yes. you'll have plenty of other chances. This will not be the last time you'll have a wiggling kid and you have to put a shoe on. Um, my mother's mentor, Chaim Gannat, used to say, you don't have to be orthodox. You can be reform. So, you know, even a little bit can make a big difference in a relationship. You know, so don't feel guilty. Don't beat yourself up. Be as kind and forgiving to yourself as you are to your kids and give yourself just as many chances. Um, oh, here, I have this other, this choice example written down here where uh, my son you know, how old was he? Three, two and a half. I know he was starting to cut the carpet with his scissors. And I said to him, you know, Dan, I don't want my carpet cut. You can cut paper or you can cut cardboard. And here I had offered him a nice choice instead of giving him a command. And he looked at me and he said, no. <laughs> so I thought, what the heck? You know, I use my skill and it didn't work. Uh, I'm not going to keep coming up with choices that he can say no to. You know, I'm going to put him in charge of this. So I said, well, I don't want my carpet cut. What can you cut with scissors? And then he got a little gleam in his eye, and he started looking around, and he said, I can't cut laundry. I know. I'll cut weeds. And he runs outside to cut weeds. And... You know, there, there you have it. You know, you're, you're putting your kid to work for you. Yes. Instead of trying to control the child, you're putting the child in charge. You know, people, people often say, you know, oh, he just wants to be in control. You know, he just won't do what I say because he wants to be in control. Well, sure he does. You know, everyone wants autonomy. So, so let's use that. And, you know, we talk about wanting our kids to become responsible. Right. Give them an opportunity. You know, put them in charge of something. Give them an opportunity to be responsible. So um, I had a, a friend with a kid who would always collapse in a store or any public place and have a huge temper tantrum whenever it was time to leave. It was very embarrassing and and miserable because he just couldn't stand whatever outing it was. He just couldn't stand it ending. Um, so... I suggested that she put him in charge of the time instead of, you know, kids are always being told it seems so arbitrary, you know, okay, it's time to go. Let's go. You know, now we're walking out in the middle of whatever you're doing. Um, so what she did was she got a little egg timer and she taught him how to twist the dial. And she said, okay, you're in charge of the time. You know, we have five more minutes. Can you set it and let us know when we have to leave? And it completely transformed the activity. Now she has a kid saying to her, you know, mom, mom, you know, get ready, get ready. There's only a little bit of time left. It's going to ring because now he's in charge. Yes. Um, I use this with my coat battle. I had a kid who my oldest, you know, he would never want to wear a coat, even if it was, you know, 20 degrees out, 10 degrees out. You know, we would have these long arguments of, you know, it's cold out. No, it's not cold out. So I decided to put him in charge of the temperature, and we got uh, one of those big dial thermometers, and we, we, we made little pictures, and we sat down. We decided, you know, how, you know, what temperature would it be when you would wear a bathing suit? 90. So we put a little picture of a bathing suit there. And what temperature would it be when you would need mittens? You know, it's snowy. Oh, that's, you know, 32. And we put, you know, the mittens and the hat there, and we filled in the rest. 
And from then on in the morning, I would say, you know, Dan, can you go out and check the thermometer and let us know what we have to wear? And he was very pleased to do that. And, you know, so no more, no more battles over coats. He, you know, he still didn't like to dress too warmly. Don't get me wrong. No, no kid likes to be all bundled and swaddled up. But, you know, what a difference between, you know, trying to force him to do something and putting him in charge of it. And these are just a very few examples of the great stories and different kinds of tools that we can use that apply in our own lives. I mean, this is really magnificent and a must-have. And it's not, as you said, we don't read it cover to cover, or you can, but really you can go to it at any time and just pick out the chapter or the story that's going to skip apply. Around. Yeah, skip, skip around. around. And, and there are pictures and there are cartoons at the end of every chapter. There are, there are comic strips so you can you know, see the skill at a glance or see, see how, how parents use the tool at a glance. And we also have little reminder pages with a with a super quick summary at the end of every chapter. And so, you have a great website as well. We do. We ha- you you found our website. Yes. And I uh, think that's, that's good news because <laughs> it's new and we're having trouble getting it to come up. We put our we put our millennials to work on that. Uh, it's how to talk so little kids will listen dot com. And and we you can you can write into the website and you know you can write questions and we answer questions on the website, and there's a little discussion forum, and there's a description of the book, and there's reviews, and there are links. So hopefully people will come and see that. Yes, there's a great way to just stay current and really make it very specific in our own lives. And you've done that anyway. You and Julie together, Joanna, have done an incredible work. I Thank you so much. I think all parents will be ever so grateful for this, so they need to get out to their favorite bookstores and get How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen, correct? Yes. Yes. You've got it. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's been so informative and fun. Truly, entertaining is a key part of it here. Well, I am pleased. (laughs) We aim to entertain. And you've done so. And with that, we're at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Joanna Faber and Sunday Morning Magazine with Dr. Sylvia Tara. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Click on the On Air tab and look for the show and guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of learning about and understanding good health. Have a week of the same and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 1069, the station that picks you up and makes you feel good. Good morning.